Hello and welcome to Game Like Training Radio, powered by the Golf Science Lab, where we'll help you set up practice and learning environments to actually help you play your best game on the course and not on the range. Hey, I'm one of your hosts, Cordy Walker. And I'm your co-host, Matthew Cook. All right, so we're talking about phases of participation today. And Matt brought this up with me. He actually wrote an article on it, and I thought it was really interesting. Kind of these three phases, uh, and I'm going to give it away right away, but it's fun, training, and guiding. So Matt's kind of broken it up into this, and I think this is a good conversation to have. Because when we talk about learning and we talk about practice, we know that it's totally dependent on skill level. And, and so this is a good framework to have. Matt, walk us through this. Where'd you come up with this? How does this kind of work? Yeah, this is, this is a huge topic for me, and it's something I'm quite passionate about, and I've tried to educate everybody possible on it. And it's come from a guy called Benjamin Bloom. He wrote Developing Talent in Young People, and it really does show some great evidence and scientific principles on these phases that I'm going to talk about. And Benjamin Bloom, he was an educational psychologist and he contributed a lot of writing, a lot of literature to mastery learning type theories and uh, classifications for educational objectives. So it's, you know, really some interesting stuff that we can adapt and implement in the golf world when we're teaching and, and we're training stu- our students. Well, give us the 30-second rundown of the three kind of different things and how you would describe them. Yes, very simply. Phase one is all about students entering the game. It's got to be fun for them. It's it's got to be engaging. If something instantly isn't fun and it doesn't make you feel good and you're not happy, you're never going to do it again. So the first thing for any golfer to participate any further is it's got to be fun. And then the second phase is once golfers have had their fun and all of a sudden it's like, you know what? I want to get good at this now. It was fun, but now I'm sick of getting beat by other people. I want to get good. Then they go into a different type of training, phase two, which is very intense. It's very, very, very intense training that has a lot of deliberate, hard tasks, which improve skill. And then... They go through that stage for quite a long time. That's the longest phase. But then once they start to come out of that phase and they go into the third one, which is guidance, it's all about playing in the right tournaments, playing in the right events, putting yourself in the right places. And really, coaches, when they're working with students in that phase, their golf swings are pretty much done. You know, they've they've developed motor programs and motor patterns that are pretty solidified and you're not going to change them that much so the swings are done it's all about guiding their own self-discovery so it's a completely different style of training so that's one two and three and everybody either goes through all of them or they stay in one of them it's that simple cool cool i need a story i need this laid out in real life you have one for me oh yeah for sure i have three three different golfers to to talk about and each one of them is in a different phase and the one that's in the final phase phase three he's been through the first and second so let me hit you off straight away with phase one and i'm gonna use kids as the example here you know when kids are coming into the sport the early participation if they don't have fun they will not want to play the game They will want to go and play baseball. They'll want to go and play soccer. They'll want to go and play football. If it's not fun, they're not staying. 
So it's all about, you know, the snag golf equipment, things like that. Fundamental movement skills, getting them active and running. That's phase one type stuff. So kids in large groups having fun, that's what phase they're in. Now, they get to a point, and I've had a bunch of students come through this, and a few in the past few weeks, actually. They get a little bit older, seven, eight, maybe nine years old. They've been in phase one for a couple of years, a few years, maybe. And now they're like, you know what? This is fun, but I want to hit the ball further. I want to get the ball in the hole quicker than what I have been doing. So they start to make a shift a psychological shift in how they approach the game. It's now not about laughing and joking so much with their friends. It's, coach, how do I do this? How can I do this better? And it's the coach that then educates the student on how. And I think a famous philosopher once said, when the student is ready, the teacher will come. And this is this is it right here. So then students are in phase two for a very long time. And I have a student now who is 19 years old. He's in phase three, but he's been in one and two, but now he's in three, ready to turn professional. He enjoyed the sport when he first came into it. He did snag golf. He did try golf, which is in Europe. It's the equivalent of snag golf, basically. He's ran, he jumped, he, he had fun. And then he wanted to learn more about how to do it better. And he spent a good eight to nine years (laughs) in phase two. Very difficult training. When he came to practice, and if he didn't have his notebook on him, I would send him home. Training changed that much. I would send him home if he didn't have his, we called it the passport at the time, his training passport. If he didn't have it with notes on his last sessions and uh, the I guess, homework that he got, his practice tasks that he got between sessions. If he didn't do them, he didn't have a lesson. He didn't uh, join the the training class that night or that morning, whatever it was, got sent home. So they were, he was held to really high standards. He was a, I, he was accountable for a lot more things than what he was in phase one. But after eight, eight between eight and nine years, now he swings pretty much, he hits the ball a long way and he hits it solid and he can shape it however he wants. He's uh, He's got a dynamite short game. Now he's to the stage where intense training, you know, almost has diminishing returns. It's not, it's not for him anymore. He's competing against high level players. And so now it's about putting him in the right tournaments, putting him around some other good players of, similar ability which push him to the edge of his comfort zone desirable difficulties and such like that um that's going to make him uh, allow him to self-discover those very intricate things that the pga tour guys have or european tour professionals have and so he's been through one two now he's at three and he self-discovers it for the rest of his life the coach now me I'm simply there as a dictionary or, you know, someone to have a chapter. If he has a bad round, it's, it's just a conversation. It's a completely different style of training to what he did when he was six or seven years old, which was all about running up and down, getting his heart rate going. 
getting some blood flow going. So he didn't decide to go and play soccer full time or or another sport full time. He he enjoyed golf that much. It was the dominating one. So he, you know, they're the three phases looking at some examples of golfers. Yeah. So I want to go down this route because I'm sure there's a lot of conversation of people thinking about like what gets taught when, right? So during this yeah. fun stage, do you teach grip? Do you teach backswing? Like what should you be telling people if you're just having fun? Before we talk about this, I do want to clarify, like there is variability in everything. It's different for every student. There's no one size fits all. So this is just like a theoretical conversation around this. Yeah, for sure. I mean, like, what do you teach during fun? Like you personally, as a coach working with students, are you teaching grip? Are you teaching backswing? Are you teaching alignment? Like what are the things that you're doing? Yeah. So, you know, all of them things are covered like grip, stance, posture, all of them things, but they're done in a very non-judgmental way. And it's, you know, if you, if you don't get it, you have to do 10 pushups. So if you don't do this and, uh, if you don't do it 10 times in a row, uh, however, then, you know, you're not going to come to practice next time. It's, you still teach them grip, stance, posture, all of the things that each coach thinks is appropriate. However, you do it in a different way. It's not about grilling the kids. It's trying to show them in different ways. Look, this is how you hold it. But do you know what? If the kid doesn't hold it exactly how you want to just let it go it you know what it's okay because if you stand there and tell him five times in a row and then you get annoyed because you're seeing bad results like maybe he misses the ball five times you know what it's okay so long as he's having fun somewhere whether it's joking with you or whether it's he does a, a celebration if he makes contact with the ball however it is that's the main thing. It's not about hitting the ball solidly, making solid contact, having this perfect grip. That's not what it's about. So you do cover those important things just in a different way. As soon as that child decides, you know, maybe he gets a little unhappy that he's not hitting such great shots, then he'll start to ask why. And then you can, you can see yourself, you know, using your own coach's intuition that you know what this one might be ready to move on he might be ready to move out of this phase and then try it you know trial and error like you just said everyone's different and what's important if you're working with the youth you know we've we've done a great job in the golf world finding more out about developmental stages you know the uh, as tpi call it the windows of opportunity if you do these strength type activities at this age then you hit this window where your body's more susceptible to getting more strength and you know at this before you before kids hit puberty they um you know they're more susceptible their bodies are more susceptible to increasing power or you, you know we've done a great job at finding those things out but we've not done such a good job at the other psychological effect of does the kid actually want to so you do hit the appropriate things just in a slightly different way. If you've got, a, if you've got, let's say, somebody at phase two, but they are a little older, say, I don't know, 20, let's say 25 years old, windows of opportunity, developmental ages and stages, as out the window, it's gone. They're, you know, they've not worked with you through them 
stages. So, you know, it doesn't matter anyway. But that golfer might be all in to getting good quick, fast. He might not need to have that, you know, really fun, non-judgmental type of training. He might be ready to go straight into phase two. So everyone's so different and you teach the appropriate things, but it's how you teach it. So our example has been juniors. I'm guessing this applies to adults as well then. Yes, for sure. Do you want me to give you an adult example? <laughs> sure. Why not? Is it a good one? Uh, yeah, well, I've got a bunch. Okay. okay. A whole so, bunch of them. So. As long as they're interesting. We, we got to keep it, uh, we got to keep it entertaining here. So, so let's say, um, a lady, well, I'll use a lady, a lady that came to me last week, actually, and completely new, brand new to the game. Never, she's only ever seen it on TV and her husband plays, but she has never hit a single shot. I found it hard to believe, to be quite honest, you know, but never hit a shot at all so after speaking to her and after after having a little bit of a conversation about where she wanted to go why she's playing the game turns out she just wanted to beat her husband and her husband's father-in-law so she was it didn't need to be this really fun exciting thing she wanted to know how to get better she wanted to know whether it was hard or easy but it's hard, as everybody knows who's listening. <laughs> um, she wasn't bothered. She knew it was going to be difficult, but she wanted to do what was necessary to beat her husband and her husband and her father-in-law. So straight away, phase two, she, she's she's ready to be taught some practice exercises, some practice regimes that are appropriate. You know, we could go back to Mark Quaregna. Quite ignore his work, you know, challenge point, mm-hmm. complete beginner. The challenge point would be what everybody should know at this point. If, if they haven't read his work, they need to. The challenge point should be, should be relatively easy, more of a blocked mass type practice. So she can see some results and, and gradually as she gets better and she improves skill, it gets more difficult. But psychologically, she's in phase two. She's ready for that. Because she wants to get better. She's made the decision herself. That's what she's here to see you for. If you're enjoying this episode, head over to golfsciencelive.com slash better training and get four videos that we've put together to help you have a more game-like training learning environment. We'll dive into the specific things that you can do to get more out of the time that you spend on the range. Golfsciencelive.com slash better training. All right. Let's get back to it. Challenge point obviously relates to skill level. So how good of a golfer they are, it has a big impact on what kind of difficulty they should be facing. But maybe when we take it a step deeper and look at their their goals or their motivation, you know, if, if someone has a high level of, of motivation, then you can have a, a stronger challenge point. You know, if they don't have a, a goal, if they're just having fun or whatever it is, then maybe they need lower. I mean, Maybe that that's the next level that that we need to even take it to when when trying to find the appropriate challenge point for students. Yeah, for sure. And you know what you said the the perfect word motivation. When I have taught some coaches on this before, I've used that term. You know, this is really you're trying to find out where the motivation is. It's a through questioning and and just having general conversations with a golfer or a student, you can find out quite quickly where their motivation's at. 
and and this is it and if like you said if they're highly motivated then you know maybe you can push that challenge point a bit more and accelerate the development of skill or if it's not if it's not high then regardless of how good you think they are they they're probably not ready for what you perceive their challenge point to be because of where their motivations are if they're not driven then don't make things really hard for them because they're probably either not going to come back going to dislike it and the the whole f- the whole reason I called it participation was that's what we want that's what we want in golf you know participation's declining and i think this is a huge reason why we're doing a great job with everything else with developing skills but we're not actually doing so good with finding out what the golfer wants like where is their motivation where's their desire is it to to uh, get better really quickly or is it just to enjoy it you know make sure you're teaching appropriately for what they want let's make this as realistic as possible like you know that that middle-aged or older man who plays once a week on saturday morning his motivation is to to have fun to beat his buddies he doesn't want to spend a lot of time right like he needs to have an appropriate challenge point during practice but his motivation is not strong enough that he's going to go out there for six hours and perform some sort of task or, or skill or game, right? It has to be, yeah. you know, the motivation has to align as well as the skill level. And so I think that's that's when a really important aspect of, of challenge point when getting real with it and setting up a learning environment or, or structuring a learning environment for a golfer or whatever it might be. So I like it. I think that's a, a good conversation to have. How do you determine motivation? Like, what questions would you ask? What questions should we ask ourselves to figure out what our motivation is? Yeah, so I the the first question I ask any I shouldn't say any golfer because I won't ask a six year old this, but um, for that who for who you just mentioned that type of player, the middle aged plays on a Saturday. You know, the first question I would ask is, you know, what can I do for you? And you know what? Generally, just off that one question, they'll do the rest of the talking is what I've found. But I'm ultimately, I'm looking for the big goal. What is the, you know, the ultimate vision? It, what If I could give you anything now in like a pill, if I could give you a pill that would give you exactly what you wanted, what would it be? And they generally do the rest of the talking, which as a coach from being around all these different types of golfers and understanding what it takes to become a great player or just an average player or just a little bit better, you can figure out by understanding these phases because there's only three and golfers, they can go, you know, they can be close to one. They could have traits of being in one and then kind of be shifting to another, but there's only three. So it's not too difficult to categorize them. And that's the whole point we want to be able to categorize where they're at. So then there's a progression. So I want to mention a story here. Ron Green, great golf coach. Uh, he's in Arizona. It was talking about working with some tour players. I think he's talking about Kenny Perry, um, a great ball striker, right? He, he hits the ball really well. He, the stats say that he, he does really well. And he was his coach, right? He was his swing coach. So what are you going to do? What are you going to do with Kenny Perry who hits the ball really well and doesn't have a problem hitting the ball? How do you help this guy? You don't want to ruin his golf swing, right? And so what he talked about was he he was optimizing, you know, what what he already had. And what that meant for him was was allowing him to do what was comfortable and do what was natural and give himself the best chance to perform. So for, for Kenny, he likes to hit a draw. I'm sure most people have seen that. And so he liked to aim out to the right, but he was being told to not aim out to the right. And so 
you know, Ron just told the story of he simply allowed, he told Kenny, he like, Hey, just aim to the right, hit your draw, uh, and be good with it. And it was, it was that sense. And, you know, obviously playing a tour very much in a, in a guiding sense there and just trying to help them play their best with the skills that they already have. I think it's a great example of, of just allowing players to maximize their current skills instead of chasing new skills. Yeah. Could not agree more. I have uh, another example of a tall player is not to the level of, of uh, Kenny Perry yet, but you know, he might be one day, but still he's a European tall player and he, there's, there's many things if not, if when I watch him play and when I watch him in events, there's so many things that I could put down and bullet point and you could do this, you could do this. This would make you better. If you just did this and this and this and this, you could play better, but I, I, I can't do that. I have to guide that person. I have to guide this golfer to make that decision himself. If this golfer doesn't ask for it, you know, I have to be very creative in how I expose what I think would help for them to make the decision themselves. You know what? Yeah, that can, that makes sense. I'll try that. And and it goes from there. You you can't just to a golfer like that, you can't say, "All right, this shot is terrible for you. You can't do that. You're never going to win. Change it. Yeah, in most in most cases you you can't do that because you've made you can't make the decision for them. They have to do it themselves. And as a phase three golfer, professional athlete. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, I, I think it's very important to understand these three phases. Understand where your golfer is at because you know I, I heard this quote. I don't. I, unfortunately, I don't know who to give credit to, but you know, maximizing their current skills versus training new skills or, or building new skills. Uh, and you have to know when to do what. And so understanding where your player is, is very important. And so I, I think these three kind of categories are, are really cool, Matt. I think it's a great framework for people to, to think about, uh, to think about where they're at. What's your biggest common denominator of trying to figure out, if, I feel like training to guiding, that's, that's a difficult transition. How do I know when I should when I should be trying to maximize where I'm at rather than, than work on new skills. So, I mean, let's just make this real. Like, how do I know when I'm there? Yeah. Well, when you're in phase two, the part of the intense training is recording tracking statistics. And, you know, you'll get to a level where you're comparing yourself not to your best previous effort or not to your, not to the people around your efforts, but to an international level. And when you start getting pretty close to them, you know, it's not time to start training new skills. It's time to improve on what you've got because the numbers are not lying to you. So you find that out from the self-recording aspect of it in training, mostly in phase two. Does a mid-handicapper ever make this this switch? A mid-handicapper? Well, just like, I, let's go back to my example of the Saturday morning guy. Does he ever make the switch of trying to, I don't know, change his swing or, or work on his swing or... Uh, you know, build new skills and, and just go to, to guiding and just, I mean, does he ever make that, that switch or are we strictly just talking about like high, high level players to move into that phase three, it's high, high level players. If they're a mid handicapper and it's that guy that just plays on a Saturday morning, then training new skills is, is what you're going to be doing for a long time before they can, before you're just in the, in the guidance phase. But you, you know what? Most golfers, most, most of them mid-handicappers, they don't want that intense style training. So it's only ever going to be fun and engaging for them. So Yeah, it brings us back to expectations, yeah. right? Like that person, yeah. although it, it's just fun, 
they have expectations yeah. to play well, you know? And, and so it's, well, I think it's good because you have to align those expectations with where they're really at. Yeah. So it's, you know, a framework for you to figure out where, where is this student at right now? What, what, what can you potentially give this person? And that's all it is. It's just a framework. Awesome, Matt. Well, let's call it a wrap there, man. I think this is, I think we've kind of, we've talked around this pretty well. Anything else before we sign off? No, I mean, the the thing is, it's there's so many questions that people could ask for it, which I'm kind of glad. Yeah, I want people, there's so many questions that I think people will be like, well, what about if you had this golfer and he wanted to do this? And with the framework and how it flows, how it's structured, you'll find a place to put them. <laughs> they they do fit into one of one of the brackets. So I, I think we, I think we did good. I think we did, we did good. We explained what it is. I like the, I like at the end there where you just said that, you know, someone could stay in that fun phase their whole golfing career. And that's cool. That's awesome. Good for them. You know, that's cool. Yeah. Because I mean, how many times I've spoke to coaches and do you know what? A lot of young golf coaches that, uh, that have the ambition of, I want to work with PGA tour players. I want to develop athletes. You know what? That's probably what you're going to do the least in this domain. The least, that is the least thing you'll be doing because most people don't want to be a professional golfer because it's that difficult to do. You're going to be teaching people that want to have fun. So you know what? You have to teach appropriately. Otherwise, you're not going to have any clients for a long time. <laughs> you know, you're going to, you have to understand that. If most of your clients are in the fun aspect of golf, they play it to have fun with their buddies and it's a social event, then you have to teach appropriately to that because it's not about what you want, it's about what the person in front of you wants. And that's going to change the game. That's what will get this game growing. Awesome. Thanks, Matt. Those are great words to end on. And uh, we'll look forward to the next show. Yeah, sweet, man. Appreciate it. This is a really good conversation about the development of players. And I think it's something that we need to talk about more is is where a player's at, what they want, and, and how to get them there and, and not maybe forcing them so much or not trying to fit them into a program, but creating programs that fit around the student. Thanks, Matt, for sharing this. This was fantastic. If you have a comment on this, would love to hear your thoughts on the website, golfsciencelab.com. On the, the page for this podcast, there's comments down below. Would love to hear what you have to say. Put something in down there uh, and we will get back to you and maybe address it in a future episode. This has been Game Like Training Radio powered by the Golf Science Lab, and we'll see you all next week.